This is Archive Atlanta, Episode 6, Behind Bars. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lamos. Hey guys, hope your week was great. I know I am so happy it's Friday. I've been waiting for Friday for the last three days in a row. And this past weekend, though, I was able to get outside and spend some time in nature. And I just wanted to give a little shout out to the Cascade Nature Preserve. So I feel like it's not as well known or talked about as kind of Sweetwater or the other big stuff. And certainly Southwest Atlanta does not evoke images of serene, uninhabited forest. But you guys have to go. It's easy to get to. Uh, free parking, the trail is really well marked, and no one's out there. I mean, maybe that's scary for some people, but I like being in the woods with no one else around. It kind of makes it feel a little bit a little bit more real. Um, it's definitely not the belt line with everyone out there with you. And for the war history people, the site of the nature preserve is actually where the Battle of Utoy Creek took place. So this is how I discovered the Cascade Nature Preserve, is I took a Civil War history tour there with my daughter. And this was about a year and a half ago. I think it was supposed to be an hour long. And it morphed into this three-hour off the beaten path. We were like up the mountain. Um, I had my daughter like strapped in the carrier and I think I traumatized her a little bit after this one. So now when I ask her to go on a tour, she always looks at me like, "Mm, I don't know about this one. So anyway, that is my PSA for Cascade. I want everyone to check it out. Today's show is about Atlanta's prisons. And I will say that I always think a subject is going to be easy or clear cut. And sometimes I'm looking forward to a simple research topic because I have a really busy week. But that never happens. There's always one, two, three rabbit holes. I find a book I didn't know existed. I start reading it. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's Thursday night and I'm filled with anxiety about how I'm going to get all this information jammed into a 20, 30 minute episode. So what I decided to do today was focus on three places that still exist, in some form or another. The Atlanta Stockade, the Federal Penitentiary, and the Prison Farm. But in doing this research, I discovered that there were several other buildings and plots of land that housed incarcerated people throughout the city's history. And honestly, this information was incredible. It was overwhelming at times, and I just wish that there was a book out there almost that could explain all this, and maybe I'll do another episode in the future. Before we dive into what is still around, I want to give an honorable mention to what is not. One of the very first prisons in Atlanta was called the Fulton County Jail, which is what we call the jail today. But this was built before the Civil War, and it housed Union prisoners. A few decades later, the jail was overcrowded, and they opened a new building downtown, and they nicknamed it the Tower. Now, the tower may sound familiar to some people because the building actually hung around until it was demolished in the 1960s. And it was a huge 100-foot tower rising from the downtown skyline. It was really like a few blocks from the Capitol building. I never saw it, but if you were around Atlanta at that time, it might sound familiar to you. 
Also right after the war, there were several prison labor camps. Some specifically opened for black women, some were specifically for black men, some were intended to be integrated. And yes, um, whites were arrested in the South, of course, but not at all in the numbers of, Af- of African Americans. Now, this topic is a whole other episode, but if you have read or watched Slavery by Another Name, um, or even the 13th documentary that's on Netflix, you have some awareness of the perils of newly freed black citizens of the South. Like in 1893, black men are one and a half times more likely to be arrested than white men, but black women were six and a half times more likely to be arrested than white women. Um, and that was something I, I had really had no idea about. I, there was a really great book that I'll put the link in the show notes for you guys that was um, very informative. First up today is the Atlanta Stockade. And it currently sits at 750, 760 Glenwood Avenue. Depends on where you're looking up the information. And everything I've read about the stockade tells us that it's built in 1896. But I've read stories mentioning an Atlanta stockade before that date. So I'm still not quite sure if maybe there was something prior to the original building or, you know, maybe they called something else a stockade. I haven't figured out that mystery yet. If anyone out there knows, please let me know. In 1863, the city of Atlanta purchases 147 acres from the estate of Joshua Badger. Now, not to go too far off course, but a really quick story about Dr. Badger. He was a slave-owning dentist in antebellum Atlanta, and he fathered several children with his wife, but also two children with his enslaved women. He taught his sons the dentist trade, and his son Roderick went on to become the first African-American dentist in Atlanta. So, back to the story. Uh, The city buys Dr. Badger's land, and they bought it because they wanted to put a cemetery on it. Now, those plans did not materialize, I think, um, basically because the Civil War was happening. And afterward, they used the site as a pest house. And pest house sounds a little weird. It's really an archaic term, but um, it means an infectious disease hospital or even just a house or structure where they would put people with infectious diseases to keep them away from the general population. Finally, it's designated as the place to build a new city prison. The first buildings were wood, and then aside from the prison, they also built a stable and a blacksmith shop. The land also had a prison farm on it and a rock quarry. Now, the prisoners here were not hardened criminals. Most of these sentences were short, they're petty crimes, but the work was brutal. And these prisoners basically built Atlanta. So the women and children would cook and clean, um, sometimes tend to the farm, and then the stronger men would work the rock quarry, which what they got from the rock quarry is what was building the streets of Atlanta. So when I say built the city, the parts coming from this prison farm and the labor from this prison farm are really what is creating the city as we know it. Men were also chained together. That's where we get the name chain gangs from. And they were doing city street repair as well. Many died or were killed. So when they actually built I-20, next to the stockade right now, really is on the edge of I-20, they found the remains of at least 50 people on the grounds. And that's just what they found. The prison population at the stockade was growing. So by 1903, there was a demand to kind of improve the facilities and then build a new structure. And that's the building that you see today. The whole entire thing was concrete. And that was a novel concept. I think the roof is concrete. And of course, it was a prison. So it was made that way to have um, prisoners not be able to escape. 
It's said to be the very first building in Atlanta that's made solely out of concrete and also the oldest that is still standing. When they built it, it only cost $9,000 to build. And that's because most of the labor was completed by the prisoners. There was actually a quote that, I don't know if I remember exactly, but it was like, they built their home. How great. Um, Not understanding how psychologically damaging that is as well. By 1922, the property would transfer to the Board of Education, and then Girls High School would be built on a portion of the property. So the people that were living in the up-and-coming Grant Park were really excited because when a high school is going to open, that means that the prisoners are going to be transferred, but also that rock quarry was really loud. So they were getting rid of a nuisance and then a prison next to their neighborhood. And the residents were right, because two years later, the stockade closed, and the city and the prisoners moved to a new facility. Now, they looked at this old building, they wanted to do something with it. So they wanted to turn it to a school, and they did a study that said that was not feasible. But comically, it was also too expensive to demolish. So they just let it sit there. And what they did was they built the school they wanted to build right next door. So that was called the Grant Park School, and it was just demolished within the last six months. Um, It doesn't get more Atlanta than that, so we've missed a chance to see that, but the stockade building is still there. The building was pretty empty for a while. Um, The school district used it to house furniture, um, and then finally in 1983, they sold it. It then became Glen Castle, which was transitional housing or kind of low-income housing for the working poor, and that was a really successful situation. I mean, I'm not sure exactly when they closed, but now um, they're redoing the whole development as a creative office space. So I think they're going to have maybe some restaurants and then that shared office space environment. Second on our list for today is the Federal Penitentiary, which is at 601 McDonough Boulevard. Now, if you've ever traveled down Boulevard until you hit the end, you are greeted by this imposing and beautiful structure. And I know it sounds weird to call a prison beautiful, but I'm solely going on the aesthetics here, not the purpose of the building. In 1899, President McKinley signed the Three Prisons Act, and a Georgia congressman advocated that he build one of these prisons in Atlanta. So they hired an architectural firm out of St. Louis. They were called Ames and Young, and they finished the building in January of 1902. The first six prisoners were actually transfers from Sing Sing, which is in upstate New York, kind of a famous prison. And a fellow history nerd told me on social media last week that the perimeter wall around the penitentiary was, at that time, the largest concrete structure in the state. Now, the fun part of this penitentiary story, for me at least, is the inmates. Um, Basically, every mafia movie you've ever seen, the title character has spent time in the Atlanta pen. And I cannot let this episode go without giving you guys a little recap of these characters. So the first one is Ignazio Lupo. And he served time in Atlanta from 1910 to 1920, and then again in 1936. He fled Sicily as a 12-year-old after killing a man. He was involved in at least 60 murders, and he was actually implicated in murdering a warden of the penitentiary in 1916, but they never followed through with the charges. Now, if you are a Godfather movies fan, um, in part two, Don Finucci, who they called the Black Hand, this is the guy they modeled him after. So um, in the movie, that guy was really bad. I'm assuming that uh, Mr. Lupo was equally bad in real life. Another famous movie mobster, Whitey Bulger, spent time in the Atlanta pen. Um, That's the guy from The Departed 
So he was a former boss of the Boston Irish mob, and he was imprisoned in Atlanta in 1956. I read something kind of interesting. A Bulger claims that while he was in the Atlanta penitentiary, he was the subject of LSD experiments conducted by the CIA. I don't know if that's true, but kind of weird. And someone we all know, Al Capone. The infamous Chicago mob boss actually spent two years in Atlanta around 1934, and while he was in Atlanta, he suffered from syphilis, but his family rented a house um, in Druid Hills while he was in prison there. So I've heard that there's a lot of Al Capone stories in Atlanta, and now I understand why. Now, does anyone remember the movie Catch Me If You Can? Um, it was about Frank Abagnale. He was the notorious Czech forger. I enjoyed the movie because there was a lot of it set in Atlanta. Well, in the movie, he escaped from prison. That happened in real life, and it actually was the Atlanta Penitentiary. He convinced the guards that he was an undercover prison inspector posing as an inmate, and they believed him. So he escaped the Atlanta Penitentiary, and then they caught him two months later and moved him to Virginia. There's also Carlo Ponzi, and if that sounds familiar, it's what they named the Ponzi scheme after. Now, he was in Atlanta in prison not yet for this Ponzi scheme. He hadn't created it yet. He was actually um, smuggling Italian immigrants into the country or something like that. But what's cool is that while he was in the pen, he served as translator for Mr. Lupo, the first guy we talked about. Now, I'm making this whole story of the penitentiary sound really lighthearted, but it was a really scary place. There's a quote from 1978 that I want to read to give you an idea of what life was like inside. Quote, the pressures at the Atlanta pen are like those in no other prison. A lot of my friends won't touch banks, post offices, anything federal because they're afraid of being sent here. A person can get murdered just having an argument. Not because somebody wants to murder, but because of the pressures, the boredom. Month after month, year after year, it starts grading away. You just go berserk. I'll never go back to Atlanta. End quote. That doesn't sound like the best place. Um, so this was 78. And then a decade later, in 1987, the prison was a site of a very infamous revolt. What was happening politically at the time was that, I think it was 1980, Fidel Castro opened the gates, so to speak, in Cuba and let several thousand people leave. And so he his hope was to clear out his mental hospitals, his prisons, and um, most of them came to America. So the U.S. government announced it was going to deport 2,500 Cubans that were in federal facilities, and they staged a revolt. The Cubans of the Atlanta Penitentiary burned a factory, and they took more than 100 hostages. Um, they held off federal agents. I think the whole ordeal was it took a few days. I think it happened the day before Thanksgiving, and then it ended December 3rd. Um, it cost $35 million in damages, and then one person died um, who was a Cuban inmate. So to this day, this remains the longest takeover of a federal prison in U.S. history. And it's not that long ago. So 1987, a lot of the people from those neighborhoods remember it vividly because um, there's federal agents all over. They weren't allowed to go to their homes, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this place is still the penitentiary. So you can drive by. I would recommend maybe getting too close. But it's definitely worth a drive. Like I said, it's a really beautiful building. And I'm very fascinated just by the property itself. There are several um, houses once you pass it. So I'm assuming they were warden homes or things like that, but you kind of can't tell if they're in use or abandoned, and the whole thing is really cool for me. Last up, we have the old prison farm. 
1863, the city of Atlanta first proposes purchasing this property as a cemetery, just like the stockade story begins. But the land actually played a role in the Battle of Atlanta. So derails cemetery plans. And then in 1917, the federal government buys the land because they were going to start a prisoner of war camp. This is around World War One. Um, that never materializes either. So the following year, the Bureau of Prisons takes possession of 1,248 acres. Now, it was located only eight miles from the federal penitentiary that we just talked about. So the farm was really owned by the federal government as well and used for the penitentiary. This was called, though, an honor farm, and it was kind of an experiment. It hadn't really been done. No armed guards, no bars, no fences. The warden was actually an agricultural expert rather than a hardened prison guard. And the original staff, when they opened it, had a veterinarian and a physician as well. And this was for the most trustworthy, well-behaved prisoners. They would work the land, harvest the crops. Um, the crops would feed themselves, but also it was feeding the prison population at the, at the penitentiary down the street. Now, the experiment was a success. By 1935, there are 150 prisoners working on the farm, and officials added brick buildings for laundry facilities, dairy barns. There's just buildings scattered all over the site. This sounds almost utopian um, when I write about it or maybe when you hear me talk about it, but we have to remember that this was a prison labor camp. People were lynched, people were hung, the majority of these prisoners were black and had been arrested for minimal offenses like loitering or breaking curfew. The life here at the camp was really that of indentured servitude. Just like the bodies found at the stockade, I have no doubt that there are bodies also on this land as well. Now, the Honor Farm really flourished into the 1950s, and then it just gets a little murky. Like, nobody can really find records or understand what happened, but the uh, kind of official closing that we go by is um, 1965. And everything was just left as is. They had cabinets full of files. It was like everybody just got up one day and walked out. What I want you guys to know about this land because, like I said, it is still here. I wouldn't recommend trying to get in. It's very well secured now. But this is the largest piece of untouched land inside the perimeter. It's larger than Piedmont Park, Grant Park, and Oakland Cemetery combined. The city of Atlanta has owned it this entire time. And over time, a portion of it has gone into DeKalb County. So now you have a little bit of a stalemate between DeKalb County interests and Fulton County interests, but still. What the city of Atlanta did do over these decades as it sat vacant is turned it into a dumping ground. When something would come down in the city or construction material, they would just dump it here. Um, so what's really interesting is that the prison farm has remnants of downtown's Carnegie Library. So there was a beautiful, I think early 1900s library at the spot where the um, more modern library is now. When that was taken down in 1977, they just dumped it all at the prison farm. So when you go out there now, all of these columns are still out there. There's also, though, a ton of asbestos, just other debris, and lots of lots of tires. They had a fire in 2009, but last year they had such a bad tire fire that you could see the smoke when you were in an airplane landing at Hartsfield. I mean, it was a serious fire. The property itself, it needs some TLC, but this could be a really incredible place. And there is a man, of course, with a mission and a website. So you can look up save the old atlantaprisonfarm.org 
There's a Facebook group as well. But YouTube has a ton of great videos where he explains the property to you and you can get some aerial view of it. I mean, it has two large lakes. It's, it would make an amazing park. Like I said, though, don't try to go yourself. After the fires and things like that, they've really cracked down. I've heard that almost everybody that tries to sneak in is going to get caught. And again, don't want anybody to get arrested for the podcast. And that's the story of incarceration in Atlanta. And trust me, this will come up again because I have much more information and my goal is to pepper it into some future episode where it fits and maybe we can do another one about labor camps. As I always say, share these stories with your friends and family and if you're enjoying the podcast, share that with them as well. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll see you next week.